Hi, everyone. I'm Kara Scott, and welcome to The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888 Poker, a podcast that looks into the personal side of the poker personalities we often see on our screens. I use a modified list of the questions from the 36 Questions to Fall in Love study, developed around 25 years ago by psychologists as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love, with a kind of shortcut for getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. Now, before I introduce our guest, let me welcome all of the new and regular listeners. This is episode 44. And to say thank you for your attention and support over the last few years, there's a $1,000 free roll on 8 Day Poker coming up right at the end of April, 2023. Check their social for the details on the when, but you will need a password to play. And that password is thehop888, T-H-E-H-O-P-888. And that's all in caps. Now, my guest this time is the current number one most winning live tournament player of all time. With over $60 million in recorded live caches in his career so far, Justin Bonomo has long since solidified his place in poker history with his skills on the felt. An outspoken person with strong views on social justice movements, Justin's often at odds with others in the poker industry. He's well known on so many levels for more than just his remarkable poker skills. So thanks for coming on, Justin. I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carrie. I've been looking forward to it too. Great. Well, let's start with something kind of basic. This sort of um, podcast really does try to get in the deeper questions. So for you, what is something that really gets you out of bed every day? That's a good question. Um, it's interesting because I feel like I have different lives. You know, like I might mm. be traveling, playing poker tournament. I might be at home in Vancouver. Uh, so it really depends where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm not playing a poker tournament, uh, acro yoga is one of my favorite things. Partner acrobatics. Just mm. such a great way to not only stay in shape, but just to like play with adults and have fun. It's really collaborative. It's a really nice balance to poker. It's basically the opposite of poker in every single way. <laughs> You know, my, my career is super competitive and kind of yeah. wear down on your soul, you know, hiding your emotions all day, just take, take, taking from other people. Hmm. Do you have trouble finding that in different places that you travel to or is it something that you kind of come home to and sort of recenter with at home? Uh, usually it's something I come home to uh, when my partner's able to travel with me. That's great. So uh, she came with me to the Bahamas and we were able to do some acro together. Mm. Uh, but, you know, she has a full time job, so she can't always come with me. Yeah, that can make it difficult. The poker industry has such um, interesting demands on a person's time and attention, I think. So, you know, you really do need a partner who kind of understands that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, as someone who has obviously reached not just the top of, you know, your career, but the very top of the poker world, and you've seen enormous success, you know, that the vast majority of players can only dream about. So what do you think it is about you, your character, your upbringing, your history, that really drives you to that success? Yeah, I've always been a very driven person. Um, I can kind of get obsessive over random things, whether it becomes a video game or poker or acro yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious. I want to go as deep as you can into whatever world I'm going into. Um, and I think that curiosity really helps in poker. Like I just, I, I always want to know the answer. I remember when Solvers first came out, I was like, are you supposed to raise Jack 10 offsuit from the low Jack? And like, we didn't know the answer to that question. It was just super fascinating to me when we could finally answer that question. Right. And so, yeah, I think that curiosity is a huge boon that like really helps me stay at the top. Mm. What else does your curiosity lead you to? 
Like what kind of topics are you studying? Do you find yourself, yeah, being kind of focused on different industries or different questions or philosophy? Um, yeah, over the years, it's taken me a lot of different places. Um, there was a time where I was uh, super interested in the singularity and, and those discussions are actually making a comeback with uh, chat GPT freaking out all the AI researchers. Yeah. Uh, for those of you, not just the AI researchers, I, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Um, some, of you, <laughs> some of you are starting to see the phrase um, alignment theory, the alignment problem in your mm. Twitter feeds. And it's basically the idea that like we're going to have artificial intelligence pretty soon. And mm-hmm. whether soon means one year or 40 years, you know, we don't really know. But the idea is like we really need to align ourselves to be on the same team as the AI. As the AI. We don't want to be competing against them because we'll never be able to win. Right. Yeah. I mean, that seems pretty, pretty obvious, huh? Like for you, what do you think is, I mean, AI, computer learning, all of these things, what do you think is the meaning of life? It just seems like it's changing so much. If you were born a hundred years ago, or hell, born 50 years ago, things are so different now. Yeah. Um, in terms of questions like the meaning of life, my answers are going to be pretty boring. Like I'm a very logical, mm. rational person. Um, I, I don't believe in a higher power personally. Um, so, yeah. so I don't think we are assigned any kind of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, some people will hear that and be like, well, that sounds boring. What's like the purpose of, you know, living your day to day? And it's like, no, you know, there's still things that I really value in this world, you know, mm-hmm. spending time with people I love, community, happiness, health, like all those good things are still important to me, even if I don't yeah. think there's an assigned specific meaning. Yeah, I've always found it really puzzling. Um, I mean, I grew up in a in the church, pretty heavily into the church, and mm. I'm not now, um, but when I hear people who have religion or who are religious talk about atheists and they, they have this belief that atheists can't be moral to their like understanding of what morality means because they have no reason to. And I've always felt like it was kind of the opposite. Like if you're trying to do moral, so to speak things, because you feel like you're fearing some sort of afterlife or punishment for not doing them that feels less moral than like not believing in those things and still choosing to do things because it's right or for the, you know, the common good or I I don't know. For me, it's always been a bit strange. Yeah. I completely agree with you. If you're only being good because you believe there will be punishment for being bad, like that doesn't actually make you a good person. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I do believe that most people are, we, we have a subconscious thing that, you know, just comes from natural evolution where, you know, we feel good feelings when we do good things and get along with people. Sure. And I think for the most part, like that keeps us going, that um, that helps us function our day to day lives. And I don't, I don't find any problem with the fact that it is just a result of random evolution. Like, to be honest, I find that like, mm. super beautiful and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it doesn't have to follow whatever path we've kind of decided is the most meaningful, especially when the we is such a narrow part of like global society as a whole. It's every kind of religion has their idea of like what it means or what the path is. And it just seems like, or we could just say that, you know, nature, science is beautiful. The way the world is, is a mystery. And that's amazing. Like, it can be a mystery. We don't have to create some sort of figurehead <laughs> in my mind anyways, to like have created everything. That seems, yeah. I don't know. You said, yeah. it, you said it perfectly. I completely agree with you. 
Hmm. Well, here's the thing. One of the things I did want to talk about, and I kind of mentioned it when I was introducing you. Um, so you you are very outspoken in your beliefs and, you know, kind of your set of values. And you don't always get along with the, some of the other people in in poker at the high stakes levels because of that. Like, what do you credit that to? Like getting the criticism for your views that you get sometimes. It seems like a lot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've made myself to be an easy target. Um, you know, I, I've picked on some of the bigger names in poker, like Daniel Negreanu, for example, for saying things right. that I think are either morally or politically irresponsible. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, they, they fight back and, you know, I, I don't shy away from it. You know, I dye my hair pink yeah. for my political reasons. And yeah, I know people are going to make fun of me for that. And like, that's what I signed up for. Mm. I think a lot of the top poker players, they don't want to deal with that. You know, they just want to put their head down and focus on their game, which makes perfect sense to me. I'm not criticizing that in any way. Right. Um, my personal philosophy has that, like, for one reason or another, I've had this platform and it's really important to me to be myself and speak out for the values that are important to me and kind of put my thumbprint on the world. Yeah, I respect that. I do. Um, it's something that I've kind of done more of and then less of over the years, depending on, I don't know, like how much energy I had for dealing with the amount of like total crap that can come with it. Um, yeah. and you know, what's important to say. And I, I do feel really strongly about that and I'm, I'm glad for that, but it's weird for me. It was always less about, cause I would get, I would say something that people didn't like politically or socially. And I, I'm of the opinion that, let's see, like to kind of sum up my idea of politics, I'm not American. So, you know, I'm not going to say I'm <laughs> a Democrat or a Republican because I'm not American. It doesn't apply to me. But I just think that we should always be trying to protect the vulnerable. For me, that's like it kind of sums it up. And I say things and people get upset and they will like tag in when I worked for ESPN, they tag in ESPN or they'll tag in like eight at eight and say, oh, did you see what this person is saying? And they're, they work for your company. And then that never really bothered me. It was just like the onslaught of whatever dick pics or like threats or it just sometimes really got to me. I'll be honest. So sometimes more, sometimes less I speak out. <laughs> yeah. It fluctuates. <laughs> it, it, I think you and I have similar politics. And if I had to pick like one word that's like a commonality between our, our politics, I would say it's compassion. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. I think that is like a defining force for what but, I think it should be. Yeah. And, and the thing is like compassion, it, it takes effort and often cases it takes sacrifice. And a lot of people get into poker because they don't want to do that. They, they've they've mm. done their their job all day long, and on the weekend they just want to kick back and not have to you know do whatever their boss needs them to do and just drink. Yeah, and do things that are you know some people might criticize them for. They, they they think of it as like an old school boys club where boys can be boys, and I, I really hate that phrase by the way. <laughs> um. And I totally understand that. Like, I feel for those people who, you know, don't want to be censored. But, you know, my take, like, I really want as many people to be happy playing poker, to feel comfortable at the table, to feel safe, to have a good time, to want to come back. And so yeah. that, that's kind of a world in poker that I personally fight for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's worth fighting for. Okay. Let's move on to some of these other questions. Let's start with this one. Do you believe in love at first sight? No, I don't. Um, 
<laughs> you sound like you feel sorry for that. Like you're like, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not the most romantic answer. Um, That's fair. Again, I can go back to, you know, talk about evolution and biology, but I'm not going to go 45 <laughs> minutes doing that. Um, yeah, I, I believe that a, a lot of people don't understand that like there isn't I mean, some people think there's like some specific formula. Some people think that like, oh, yeah, everyone has one soulmate. But I think just like people spend time together and they get to know each other. And that's yeah. you know, the most likely thing to make people fall in love. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, for you, are you a singer? Like when is the last time you sang either to yourself or to someone else? No, uh, normally not, I'm not a big singer. Um, but the most recent time I did was actually yesterday. Um, mm. I, I put out a funny Twitter video. Uh, yes, I saw it. The Will Jaffe one. Yeah, exactly. I was uh, poking a little fun at Will Jaffe, kind of imitating his style, which which I like, by the way. I think most of his videos are great. Uh Um, And and there's a little quip in there where I said, like, sure, we all want to see Jungle Man dressing up as Lizzo, singing her songs. And I I love her song, Juice. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's hilarious. I think it's fun. Uh, So I I played the video to my girlfriend, and I was kind of singing the song to her yesterday, and we were rocking out to it a bit. Nice. <laughs> it's a good one to rock out to. It's so much fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, if you were able to live until the age of 90 and you could keep either the mind or the body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you choose? What's more important to you, th- you think? Man, that, that's a really tough one. Um, I think I would go with body because I mm-hmm. think that would just lead to higher life quality, higher enjoyment, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could connect with people better, get around, be more mobile. I think that would be a happier life. Yeah, I can see that. And I think some of the, I mean, the mind, how that's connected to the body is like, it's kind of difficult to to divide the two. So like if you're aging, but so if your body doesn't age, then your brain doesn't age, but you would be stuck with the mind of a 30 year old. I don't know. Being like much more than 30 at this point, I do not think I would want to go back and be stuck in the brain of of 30-year-old me. So, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Um, So is there anything that you would change about the way that you were raised? Yeah. um, Yeah, I grew up uh, with my mom and stepfather who uh, worked long hours. Um, And for whatever reason, you know, I was a a rebellious teen – I developed the habit of just not knowing that I could talk to other people for help. So I just kind of dealt with all my problems on my own. Um, I suffered from depression and didn't realize like, oh, you could talk to people and work on that. Mm. I just kind of stuffed everything down inside. And yeah, I I wish I knew not to do that. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you would kind of tell yourself back then? Like uh, an avenue for help that you would like recommend? Yeah. Um, talking to other people about my problems, both adults and kids my age. Mm. Um, and, and that's a big part of why I dyed my hair pink. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so technically, you know, I first dyed it red for Burning Man is meant, meant to be just like a fun costume. I didn't really think much about it, but it, uh-huh. it faded to pink and just over time it came to mean a lot to me. And one of the things it represented to me was a protest of toxic masculinity. Ah. And and I very much believe that toxic masculinity was why I struggled so much as a teenager. Like I I literally thought it would have been a negative thing to talk to someone else about my problems. I thought cool Mm -hmm. just bottled stuff up inside and dealt with it. 
Um, so, so that's kind of the message I would send to my childhood self. Like you need help and it's okay to admit that and to talk to other people and to share your feelings. Yeah. So for someone who might be listening and who does not understand what toxic masculinity is, because it sounds, I mean, it sounds bad because it is bad. Um, and it's not about men and boys being bad and wrong. In fact, it's very much the opposite in my opinion, but how would you go on to define that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people think it means masculinity is bad. No, if if (laughs) you, you can have water or you can have toxic water, water, great, toxic water is bad. Um, so in that regard, it's pretty simple. Um, um, and so, yeah, definitely not fighting against all masculinity. I think strength is, you know, a great quality, for example, I think fortitude is a great quality. Um, but the idea is not to fall into these like predefined social norms that you feel like you have to be stuck in a box for. Mm-hmm. Um, so one is, you know, being a man in terms of like bottling your feelings up and keeping things to yourself and just silently dealing with all your problems rather than actually fixing something. And yeah, yeah th- that to me is the embodiment of toxic masculinity. And then, of course, there are more aggressive forms of it. Um mm-hmm. Violence, domestic violence is obviously, you know, a a horrible trait that comes out in some men, of course, not all men. Yeah. Uh, That's something I think we should all work to avoid. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting because obviously toxic masculinity or like patriarchal structures and all of those kind of really old ideas, like really bad ideas in my opinion, um, that is really negative and bad for women or people who are coded as women and female. But it's also incredibly harmful to guys. And I think that is something that's kind of being spoken about more, like you say, like there, you can talk to people about things. You don't have to bottle things up. There is another avenue. Your feelings are actually important. And I don't know that I would think, and I don't know because I'm not I'm not a guy, but I would think that there's something really kind of scary, but also very freeing in that idea of being able to kind of talk about your feelings and not have to say that they're either non-existent or not important. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And you, you brought up a good point in there. I, I think a lot of people hear phrases like feminism or toxic masculinity, and they just assume it's this battle like, oh, women against men and women hate. Right. Men. But I, I don't see it that way at all. Um, I, I do think that some white men feel like they want to be acknowledged that their life is hard. And, you know, I, I think everyone's life is hard. I'm not, I'm not going to get into, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to say that white men have it the hardest because I don't think that that's true, but white men do mm. struggle in a lot of ways, especially in, you know, 2023. I think it's really hard times for a lot of people right now. Yeah. Um, and they think that feminism is fighting against them because it's not acknowledging how hard they have it. Right. But I think the better way to look at it is like feminism actually holds the answer to them. I, I think mm. men can learn a lot from women and feminists. And one example of that is, you know, seeing a therapist, talking to someone about your problems, like being in touch with what's going on. I think those are things that, like you said, men can benefit from. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge um, like cheerleader for therapy and what, like no matter what kind it is, there's so many different kinds that, you know, it's just a, it's a really great way to be able to unpack things, especially if you've found yourself making the same kinds of decisions over and over or ending up in the same kinds of places that you don't like over and over. 
it's just a really good way to get someone who's like an expert. It's like getting a coach, right? Like if you're playing poker and you keep doing the wrong thing and you can't figure out why, or you keep having the same bad results in certain situations, finding someone who's an expert, who's actually like studied that. I mean, we know in poker that works. So it works for mental health as well. For sure. And, and I actually want to bring up dating on the subject too, because oh. a lot of the anti-feminists will think that like feminism will hurt them in dating. But I, I found it to be- Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I found it to be completely the opposite. Just like being in touch with communicating sexual things with women, it's like really helps a lot. Like women find a man who can talk about sex in a, like a healthy, constructive, positive, exciting way. They, they find mm. that to be a very good thing, of course. Yeah. And a guy who can talk about his feelings in all kinds of different ways and be vulnerable, vulnerable about that, whether it's like, you know, difficulties at work or struggling with some family stuff, like all of that is very humanizing. And yeah, I don't think for the most part, women, at least I wouldn't want to date someone who's more of like a cardboard cutout of a guy uh, who's not able to kind of talk about those different things that they're facing as like a person, as a challenge. I don't know. There's something about partnership that does require, you know, two people being able to put in that amount of effort. So For, that's how I see it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and okay. And to any men who are listening to this thinking like, oh, the things I'm talking about are unsexy, like consent. Oh, no. <laughs> consent, for example, can be a very sexy thing. If you can like talk to a woman about like what you want to do with her in a very confident, direct way, like mm -hmm. that's a very sexy thing to engage in. Yeah. Consent talk is something that is actually fairly new, I would say. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't something that happened a lot when I was in my twenties. So being able to like be with someone, uh, with a guy who's able to talk about, like you say, like sex, about consent, about any of that is actually, it takes a, a load off the mind as well. Like you're not constantly having to wonder how much you're going to have to like negotiate this or negotiate that or like work around somebody's ego even a little bit. It's just nice. It, it kind of frees you up to enjoy yourself a lot more. So guys, if you're listening, consent, very sexy. There you go. Um, all right, moving on. Let's talk about what you feel grateful in life for. So for what in your life do you feel the most grateful? Mm, there's so much. Um, it's hard to pick just one thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. My career has given me the opportunity to travel over the world, to do whatever I want, uh, to meet great, wonderful people. Uh, I suppose like one individual aspect of my life that I'm really fortunate for is just Anytime I want to, if there's an important festival or wedding or whatever that I want to go to, I can just drop everything and just do it. Like I can basically do whatever mm -hmm. I want. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I'm very, yeah. very grateful for that. Hmm. Okay. Well, in terms of your friends and your friendships, would you say that most of them kind of come from poker or are they from a different part of your life? For the first 10 years of my career, it was all poker friends. Like my whole yeah. life was nothing but poker, even when I wasn't playing poker. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for the past 10 years, that hasn't really been the case. Um, I spend mm. a lot more of my time now with non-poker people. Uh, these days, most of my friends are part of the Acro Yoga community. Uh, just like wonderful, right. wild, interesting, lovely people. Hmm. What do you value most in a friendship? What's the thing that you look for in people that's kind of a common thread? Mm, um, there's so much, uh, just having something in common with a person, 
But like, I guess what's really meaningful is just knowing that like, when you're in the hospital, for example, knowing that someone will come for you, uh, mm. that kind of closeness is really valuable to me. Just like knowing that, you know, they'll have my back and I'll have their back. Yeah. In terms of uh, fears, do you have any that are like, like, I don't know, fear of flying, <laughs> fear of falling, any of those kinds of things? Um, I have a very minor fear of heights, but, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's a relatively healthy, normal one. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, if we want to get more emotional, um, I definitely get lonely. Um, mm. So I have a fear of loneliness for sure, especially on some of these long poker trips. Like I just spent three weeks in Asia and some of those can be very lonely and isolating for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, if your partner can't travel with you all the time too, and you're away from home a lot of the time, that can be... It can be a bit strange. What yeah. do you find the hardest, like breakfast or not having someone to talk to at night or kind of what's the hardest part of that? Mm, I, I don't think there's a specific point in the day when it's worst. Um, but just like after going so long without being home, seeing my friends, seeing my girlfriend, um, mm. you're just kind of like you lose that wholesomeness, that love that your soul has, and you just become like mm -hmm. more alone and in a kind of dark, quiet place. And so just like every day that I'm away, it gets slightly worse. Yeah. What do you do to kind of make that better? Do you have any, any tips on how to live kind of on the road when that's part of the reality of it? Yeah, I took a recent trip and, and this one was much shorter. It was only about 10 days. Um, but I found it really helpful that I had plans for the day after I got back. So I got back late at night on a Sunday and we had plans mm -hmm. for Monday with, um, it was eight of us, a group of really close friends. And just like having that to look, not only to look forward to, but also like having that plan in the back of my mind made me feel more connected to those friends. Mm -hmm. We had this thing we're going to uh, together. And have you ever heard of So Far Sounds? No, I haven't. Uh, it, it's lovely. It, it's a new way of doing concerts. Like, huh? So someone went to a concert 10 years ago and just didn't like the whole vibe by uh, people were on their phones, people were being rude to each other. Mm. And what they do is you sign up for a date and they'll tell you like roughly what part of town it is, but they don't tell you exactly where it is. They don't tell you who the artists are that are playing. Um, and so this last Ooh. one I went to, um, two days before the show, they revealed that it was going to be at a local, um, winery kind of place. Mm -hmm. And it, it was only big enough for about 30 people and people bring like blankets and pillows and like make the floors really comfy. Like we were cuddling up as we listened to the music and then just three really talented local artists who had completely different genres of music showed up, played three different beautiful sets. And oh. I've been, I think, five times now, and all 15 of the artists I've seen have been, like, really interesting, and it's been beautiful music, and just such a way, great way to spend a night with friends. Uh, also right. a great date night. So, so far, mm. sounds, like, really want to plug it, because I think it's great. Hmm. Cool. It does sound nice. It sounds like being at, a like, a music festival and kind of stumbling across, you know, your favorite new band at a venue that you've never really considered even listening to before. It's nice to be exposed to new music. And I feel like it's been a million years <laughs> since I've had that. So I'll have to check that out. That it, is a very good tip. It, it's great. And I like the vibe that they set, you know, they make sure nobody's, you know, chatting on their phones and people are being respectful yeah. and it, it's, yeah, it's a great experience. Cool. 
Okay. Well, that's a great experience. Going back to the fear thing, because, you know, this is the deep and meaningful part. Like, have you ever been truly terrified? That's a, that's the next question. Yeah. Um, yeah, several times. I would say that the, the scariest, darkest moment of my life, um, I, I spent about two years being suicidal, uh, mostly in seventh and eighth grade. Those are really tough mm. years for me. Um, suffered from depression. Um, but there's one moment in particular, and honestly, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but I will say mm-hmm. it is the, you know, for, for a couple of years I had ideations about suicide, like I would fantasize about it, but yeah. there was only one moment in my life where like I actually decided I was going to do that. And fortunately it didn't last for a long period of time, but that was, mm. it, it's jarring and terrifying for me to even think about it now. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. And there is thankfully help out there for people, but if they don't know or feel like that they're able to reach out and access that help, it can be really difficult. But, you know, anyone who is listening, who is having those thoughts or who is dealing with that kind of thing, you know, definitely talk to someone. And thankfully there are even like hotlines. That's something that, I mean, I, I struggled with a lot of depression when I was a kid as well. And I never actually called one of those kids helplines because I always thought, oh, they're going to just think that it's not bad enough or yeah or, you know, whatever. And so I never did, but just knowing that I could, I think really helped me. And so, yeah, wherever you are, whatever age you're at, there, there are helplines that are available and please do check that out because it's worth it. (laughs) I can say it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your, what your partner or your best friend would say is one of your worst habits. Mm. Um, so, so I cheated a little bit. I was actually talking to my partner about this last night. Uh huh. <laughs> what did she say? Um, she said sometimes, and I felt really bad cause I didn't realize how much I, I do this, but apparently sometimes we're in a conversation and my mind just says, okay, the conversation's over. I'm going to do something else. And she's just like sitting there being like, why did he leave? Or we were talking about something. And- right. And I, I guess it's my ADHD, my ADHD brain going to the next thing, thinking the conversation's resolved. Um, right. But but I told her like, please like I don't want to do that to you, especially if it makes you feel awful. So like, let me know yeah. when I do that, and so I can recognize it and work on it. Because you know I'm very big about self improvement. Yeah, absolutely don't want to keep doing that. For sure, healthy conversation it really does help actually. We don't know the crap that we're doing sometimes until we ask <laughs> and make it safe for people to actually tell us. And I think that's the the other side of the equation that sometimes gets lost. Like if you ask, you know, what is something that you really, I, that annoys you about me or something I do that annoys you, but you don't make it like safe and welcome to actually get the answer, you're probably not going to get an answer. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a good what point. We, we actually had a conversation about exactly that last night because it's mm. something that might not seem safe. And after I asked her the question, she asked me the question. She made sure to say, like, like Justin, this is your chance to be safe. Like, I won't judge you for your, what you say. Like, feel free to be honest. And you know, that helped me be honest. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's talk about your family, if you don't mind. Um, so how close and warm was your family and is your family and, you know, how is your relationship with your parents? No, we weren't really warm. Um, you know, we would say, I love you to each other all the time. But, like, there wasn't 
much feeling behind it, if that makes any sense. It just like is yeah. it, it was this automatic thing that you had to say any time you you know went to sleep for the night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no physical touch in my family, which I think uh, really affected me. Um, now right. with an adult, I absolutely crave physical touch. Like cuddling is my favorite thing in the world. Right. And I didn't have any of that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, was there a second yeah. half of the question or did I answer that? No, no. I just wanted to make sure that I gave you the space to, to, to fully answer. Um, yeah, no, I can I can kind of relate a little bit. Although, you know, we never said I love you in my family. And I, I knew that it was the case. So it was kind of the reverse of that, which was, mm-hmm. you know, probably a better way for it to be. But again, not a lot of like physical contact or or that kind of thing. My parents had pretty tough go of it. Um, you know, one of my siblings was very, very ill as we were growing up. And that was, that took up the majority really of their kind of time and space. And so, yeah, but it is something that as an adult, you kind of can look back on and, and see where that had an impact for sure. And then now I'm a parent. So I like go way overboard. And my kid tells me mm. constantly, she's like, you don't have to keep telling me. I know. that, And I'm like, I know, but I love you. Right. You know that, <laughs> you know that here, come give me a hug. And she's like, Oh my God, she's only four. And she's like turning into a teenager already. Bless her heart. Um, okay. Let's move on to another <laughs> question. I'm curious what you think is something that's like a misconception about you. So we talked about, you know, what you're the person who knows you best, your partner has thinks about like your worst kind of bad habit. What is something that you think is a misconception about you maybe in the poker industry or the just your friends? What do they not understand? Yeah, I think I'm not very understood by people in the poker world who have never met me in person. Mm. Um, a lot of what people know about me is actually stuff that they hear through people who don't like me. People like Doug Polk and Daniel Negreanu who just really don't like my politics. Right. Um, also, people who who watch me on streams, they might see me there, you know, concentrating super hard and not talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just some people have that gift where they can do something high level and hold a conversation at the same time. I'm not one of those people. I can either have a conversation or I can play high level poker, but there's no way I can do both at the same time. Right. Uh, and so I think I come off as, as cold to a lot of people. Um, I, I think if people were able to see my life and like all the fun, crazy things I do, all the, you know, hilarious um, situations I get into with friends, like uh, honestly, some stuff that uh, I probably can't say publicly, but that's a lot of fun <laughs> that I wish there was more of in the world. Um, yeah, so so I wish people kind of saw my my fun side a little bit more. Yeah, huh? I wonder if there's. I mean, I think some of your fun side came out with the the Will Jaffe video. <laughs> I mean, it was very dry, which he is in in his own you know kind of way that he he does his humor, and I don't know, maybe that kind of shows a, the lighter side of Justin. Yeah, I, I hope so, and it's cool that I was able to share a little bit of that. Yeah. Okay. So what is something that you wish that you could do? Um, is there, you know, if you could wake up having gained a quality or ability that was anything at all, what would it be? Mm. Oh, I haven't prepared an answer to this question. Hmm. Mm. So, so this isn't like an all or nothing thing that I have nothing of, but one thing that I would like to work on and get better at, um, would just be, um, 
maintaining my social connections. Uh, in particular, I find it hard right. to have like a really close male best friend. Um, I kind of have, you know, 40 friends who I'm all like a little bit close with. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I was better able to get like really close to one person and really like constantly stay in touch with one person, especially another male in my life like that. Yeah. What do you think it is that kind of makes that difficult? Just age, life, something else? I don't know. I'm very introverted. Um, I I guess it goes back to toxic masculinity. Like I I found it very easy to share my feelings with a girlfriend, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But like with a male guy who I really want to be friends with, it's, it's hard for me to say like, you're really cool. I think we should spend more time together. Let's just spend some time and talk. Yeah. And that's something I'm working on. Um, I I try to let my friends know like who's really important to me and who I want to have more in my life. Um, But it it doesn't come naturally to me always. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think you want most out of life? Um, Is it the connections that you're making? So what would make you think that is I've done it. I've lived a good life. That is exactly what I wanted. If you get to the end of your life and you have it. Yeah, my, my dream scenario 20 years from now would be some kind of communal living where, um, yeah, I just have 50 people I love all close by and we spend our time together and do positive things that uplift us. Um, I, th- I assume most people listening to this know that I'm polyamorous. And yeah, having a, a polycule be part of that community with you know five partners or whatever all living together, that would be amazing. Okay, so what would be your perfect day? in that scenario, you know, what, if you could kind of project yourself into the best possible day ever? Mm. Um, I, I guess traveling with those friends, doing something fun and crazy like Burning Man. Um, yeah. Burning Man's basically my favorite place in the world. Uh, it's the highlight of almost every year for me. Um, getting to explore that with people I love is just such an amazing gift. Um, being on your bicycle, you know, maybe not sober, just exploring thousands of art pieces and music stages, getting to go on adventures there with people you love is just so much fun. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have heard different things about Burning Man, but what a lot of people don't understand is just how, how vast it is. And it's such a great place to explore. Exploring is by far the number one thing that people do there. So spending a day, you know, riding around on our bicycles, maybe not sober, just exploring hundreds of different <laughs> art pieces, little cool exhibits. And like, you, you never know what, what crazy thing you'll end up at. Like, like last hmm. year, one of our cool um, endings was we went all, all the way to like the outer fence. So miles away from the camps and we just stumbled upon this movie theater at 1am. It was playing this black and white movie that, that was hilarious and we weren't sober. <laughs> so we were actually debating like, is this a black and white 1920s movie, like actually from 1920s? Or was this something made a month ago for Burning Man? (laughs) Like it was so campy and ridiculous that like two of us thought it was real and two of us thought it wasn't. And then that's just one example of like the completely random Mm. things you might come across at Burning Man. Uh, It does sound like a lot of fun. It's not something I've ever done. I thought about it. And then it was really difficult just to get like tickets. And I thought, I I don't like sand all that much. So I didn't go, but <laughs> I can totally, totally see the value in it for, for people. Um, okay. We're getting pretty close towards the end. The last few questions. Here's one that's a little more, uh, kind of deep and meaningful. If you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone at all, what would you most regret not having told someone 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I, I really want my friends to know how much I love them. I, I had a big epiphany about 12 years ago, I guess. Um, I realized that I think these nice things about people all the time, but I just don't say them. Huh. Um, and, and since then I've made an effort to, to do this to people. Like, uh, sometimes I'll write a long letter. Sometimes I'll just tell them in person. Uh, and mostly it's gone really well. I will say that it, it backfired a lot. Um, I made one girl feel, really? ve- I made one girl feel very uncomfortable. She kind of took it as a love letter. Um, oh. even though a lot of the things I said to her, I said to, you know, platonic male friends as well, but, uh, right. um, I, I, Definitely could have been more careful with my phrasing of some things. And like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm not taking any responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's unfortunately, it's unfortunate that I have that bad memory in my mind of trying to share such positive, wonderful things. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that's absolutely something I think that I should do more of and everyone out there should do more of. Just tell the people in your life who you respect and love how much you love and respect them. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I think I also don't do it as much as I should in my head. I know how much I respect and adore my friends. And I don't know, I try, especially the last few years where most of my connections almost entirely have been online because I've been, you know, kind of a a lot more isolated than, than most people have been, unfortunately, through the last few years. And then I think I have started to say it and be a lot more kind of intentional about it. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. Because I think I would have lost a lot of years of not saying things if I hadn't been kind of pushed into a corner where, I don't know, I, I felt like I needed to. So I'm glad that I do. But it, it is definitely, it can be difficult and it can be a mismatch and that can be very difficult too. Um, so for you, are, are you the kind of person who does dwell on mistakes or embarrassing moments or do you kind of let them go? Um, a little of both. Um, I have a super analytical mind and my mind's always going a thousand miles an hour. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm just, I am the type of person who like replays social interactions in my head in the shower and I'm like analyzing things. Yeah. But I also really like the Buddhist mentality of just like accepting reality for what it is, being at peace with things. You don't need to assign judgment to everything. Right. So it, it's it's it almost sounds like opposites. Like I am really analyzing stuff, but I'm also just like letting it be and moving on. And, you know, I try to strive for that. Okay. Well, last question here. Um, we're almost finished. Your house containing everything you own catches fire. After saving your loved ones and your pets, if you have them, you have time to safely make one final dash and save any one item. What would it be? Mm, I don't hold anything of like incredible significant value in my uh, significant um, nostalgic value um, sentimental uh-huh. value is the word I'm looking for in my apartment uh, so my answer would be something boring like my tracer with my crypto on it or my computer hard drive or something <laughs> yeah I don't have that like yeah. one keepsake that's super important to me so not even in like so not in your apartment but also just kind of you don't have that do you not kind of hold on to mementos or are all your things kind of from childhood back in your childhood home um i i do i I do have a collection of like wedding invitations and i i guess in that that box the most meaningful thing to the that i keep in there are i keep all the letters that anyone has written me uh nice so over the years some of my romantic partners would leave me letters and you know not not always super big, important ones, but just like I'm going out to run errands, had a great morning with you. Love you. Just sometimes it's simple things like that. 
And, yeah. and I really do really enjoy looking through that, just, you know, remembering and appreciating a lot of the connections in my life. Yeah. Sometimes it is just the simple things, the reminders of like the really simple afternoons or, or normal kind of things that we do that really mean the most. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was our last question. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, thank you for opening up as much as you did. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a chance to do that, Kara. It's not very often that I get asked these questions, especially in the context <laughs> of the poker world. So thank you. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you being game for it because I know it is definitely not the usual. Um, So yes, uh, thanks for coming on, for opening up. Thank everybody who is listening. I really appreciate you being here. I hope that you feel like you know the person behind the cards even better now. And of course, please join me next time on The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888 Poker. 